I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. to another edition of the Lost Word DraftKings podcast. I either call it DraftKings or DFS. I change it every single week, but it all means the same thing, Matt Vincenzi, doesn't it? Absolutely, it does. It does indeed. And uh, how are you doing? We've just come off a good win at the PGA Championship, both on Justin Thomas. I would say a fortunate win. That's pretty fair to say. I mean, I didn't expect to be cashing that ticket after Saturday, but uh, it all pays the same. And, uh, and when they win, we can just say they won. It doesn't really matter how they did it. Absolutely. I mean, years from now, we're going to look back on that PGA Championship and always remember that we had Justin Thomas. That's kind of the best thing about winning it outright on a major is because you kind of, kind of look back and, and, you know, be a part of it. And it's a good memory. And I, um, yeah, however you do it is however you do it. I thought uh, it was definitely a memorable um, win the way he did it. And I, going into Sunday, didn't really think it was all that possible, although I recognize it, it could have been considering the few amount of guys in between him in the lack of their experience. So I didn't think he was necessarily out of it, but he didn't really show us anything Saturday to make us think that he was going to pull it off. So, so this was the thing, right, is that him and Rory McIlroy were both terrible on Saturday. Like, there's no two ways about it. They both just, you know, he, he especially with Thomas, because he'd shot those pair of 67s um, on the first two days or, or whatever it was that he shot um, in the worst conditions. And you thought, right, he's actually going to get to go out with the leaders at the right time, and let's see what he's got. And he was really bad. And I just thought, this is just typical of Justin Thomas. We kind of get excited about him. Uh, I keep putting him up, keep getting disappointed, and I just thought it was going to happen again. But, um, and then I kind of went back on, uh, back and forth on whether he actually deserved to win it. And ultimately, if you win it, you win it, and you probably do deserve it, right? And I think when you count, you account for the first two rounds, which were just unbelievable, and then account for how he performed on the back nine when everyone else wasn't, um, and he probably gave a couple away on 13, 15 uh, as well. You start to think that really he did deserve it. I think, you know, ultimately, Mita Pereira played the best, but I don't know if that's even necessarily true because he was, he what is it, like four bogeys and a double on, on the final round? Like, as much as I think he was sort of flattered by the fact that others were so bad around him. Yeah, I... I think JT deserved to win. I think he played the best. And what a lot of people are kind of missing is he, JT was one of the only ones that come out of that um, bad draw. Fitz was the other one. But yeah. he also, if you think about it, when he finished on um, Friday, there was a group of like four or five guys who got to play in the easier stretch of holes that, uh, like, you know, 11 through 17, 10 through 17, in the time of the day when it was complete, it was like the calm before the storm, before yeah. it rained, and it, it was just nothing. And you saw Bubba birdied four straight, Mita was firing at pins, Zalatoris was firing at pins, and a lot of the damage that both Zalatoris and Mito did was in that stretch of holes. And before that, JT had to lead at six under. So I think a lot of the birdies they made on the week or the game, uh, ground they uh, gained on the leaderboard was because of that stretch. Yeah, and I, do you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting because, one, I don't think we necessarily learned anything we didn't know at the weekend, right? I think we knew that the guys that were up there, Cameron Young, Mito Pereira, Fitzpatrick, Zalatoris, all inexperienced in terms of PJ Tour wins, haven't got PJ Tour wins. They've won elsewhere, and, you know, they're, they're all people that you'd expect to win at some point, but they were inexperienced, and, and that kind of showed, right? I, I think we, we've said, gone back and forth about whether Fitz can do it. I think he probably can, but he was disappointing on Sunday. Rory was 
awful after the first round. Like, I know he had that little stretch on the front nine um, on Sunday, and he just kind of pumped the brakes, and that was really disappointing for someone of his calibre. Um, and I think that's, again, just sort of highlights how well Justin Thomas played. Like, he shot the lowest round of the day. You know, it's as simple as that. He tied with Tommy Fleetwood. Um, and that was it, right? And I think, did we learn that Mito Pereira can probably cope in a regular event? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say if that was, you know, the Byron Nelson, he probably would have won. Like, the, you know, the final tee shot is all that really cost him. And, and it was a horrible tee shot, by the way. You knew even mm-hmm. before you saw it in the water that it was, it was horrendous. Oh, yeah. Like, just the worst shot type. Um, the swing, I didn't even. I never saw that swing before. No, it's a, it was like he was trying to hit this kind of like bullet drive, and it just, it just wasn't. I don't know what he was trying to do. Take all the sting out of it. I, I had no idea. Like it was a stinger, and well, it looked like a stinger. It was probably just a horrendous shot. But um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I think, I think ultimately we learn how good Justin Thomas can be under pressure. We learn that. And I personally learned that I think Zalatoris, every time you hear this kind of like, if Zalatoris putts well, he's going to win uh, at some point. Well, he's like, I think all of the times he's played one of the majors, he's actually putted really well. Like, he was like top 10 in putted last week. I know he had some rough ones over the weekend, but that kind of suggests that you can't just expect Zalatoris to have a zero or slightly better putting week and win. It, it doesn't, it's not as simple as that. Right. And there's one thing I kind of want to say. I mean, you and I, who have been following golf for a really long time, understand the way that it's gone lately in terms of these young new guys coming on tour and immediately winning and winning big things isn't the way that golf has been throughout the history of the tour. And I think people who kind of just started getting into golf betting, we saw the, the market that we're in kind of surge during that COVID break and all that stuff. They think that's how it works. And I, had, I was answering questions all week from people before the tournament started, and I thought people are going to be throwing this in my face after the tournament. <laughs> they said, Mito, Cam Young, Zalatoris. And I was saying, no, not right now. They can't win a major. They can't win a major. And I was ready to eat crow on that because of things of how, how it's been going. But, you know, in the end, I still feel the same way. It's not easy to win a major. You don't just get on tour and like Cam Young for three months and all of a sudden win a major. I just don't believe in that. So I'm glad that it didn't come to fruition. Yeah, and, you know, I think... I think I basically, I said the same thing about Cameron Young. Like I said he was going to play really, really well. The odds were too short for a major championship, and ultimately they were. And that record's great, and he's going to win, you'd think, at some point on the PJ Tour, and that's fantastic. And do you know what? They were all, in their own right, pretty good at some point under the pressure. Um, mm-hmm. None of them completely shit the bed. Um, they all had opportunities to win it, and I think that's a good, um, you know, good spot for the future i just think ultimately like you said like it's just so hard to win a major that and we found it out on the back nine like mm-hmm. as soon as he got to the back nine fitz was not great uh zalatoris lost his ball striking mito was coping but only because everyone else was going backwards i think i think if anyone else was making an earlier charge him if zalatoris or cameron young or whoever were actually in position to pounce were making a charge uh those guys that were three back then I think he would have struggled. I think it was the fact that the only real guy that was really pushing was Justin Thomas, and he felt like he was so far behind for quite a lot of it. Um, it was really tough. You know, he shot, he made a, he shanked one earlier in the day, Justin Thomas, and won a major. It's it's incredible. I thought my shot tracker was wrong on that, but but at one point someone texted me and said, "Who are we worried about here with JT?" Because I I sensed he was getting back into it. He said, "Who are you worried about, uh, Mito?" And I said, 
text me when he's on the 16th hole and I'll tell you if we're worried about him or not. Yeah. And that's what I, th I thought before that he wasn't going to be. And at that point, yes, I was worried about him when he was on the 16th hole. Yeah, it didn't end yeah up like happening. some guy asked me, he was like, who's going to win this? And I said, I just have no idea. But I, I can't argue against Mito right now. Like he, he just seems to be passing it. He seems to have got a cushion. And, and you know what? I thought he was going to win it. Like the, the, I, I really did. Like even, even when he was standing up on 18, I thought he was going to win it. The only thing, and, and because Thomas, if Thomas had made the putt, then I would have thought differently. But because he missed his part, I just felt like that was it. The chance he could have played gone. for bogey. He could yeah. Have played for part, like yeah. I, I thought, you know, do you know what? That that's his probably his chance gone. We, we've we've come close, and and so be it. Um, and then he hit that tee shot, and and, and you, I understand it completely. Like I will never hold that against Mito Pereira. Like there's no point. If anything, you just should just be encouraged by what he did. I hope he bounces back from that because sometimes you can see that it can have a lingering effect. We'll yeah, I, I think he needs to, especially him who's so inexperienced. Like he's what is he, 27, but he's he's really like inexperienced in terms of PJ Tour level. He just needs to go away and go. Do you know what? That was absolutely fantastic week. Um, let's build on it. Yep. Overall, I think we did pretty good with with the picks that we made um, for the PJ Championship. Just thinking back, yeah, I know that I was obviously very high on speed. wasn't good. Um, but ultimately, like we picked JT, um, I'm pretty sure we were quite happy with Zalatoris and Cameron Young in that range. Like we knew what the ownership was going to be. But um, was was there any highlights for you that we kind of spoke about that you were happy with? Um, you no, know, for me, I played so much JT, but I also played so much Cantlay. So that was the my undoing. And I yeah. I never played Cantlay, like I said, and I uh, I went to him. Um, just thinking it was a good fit with the bent grass and the type of course, and he just looked like a completely different player. So that was a that was a horrible pick and. He was he was horrific. I, I really don't. I, I just I'm so against. I'm so down on Patrick Cantlay. Like someone someone. So we did the the betting show last week at the PJ Championship, and someone said like, I skipped. I literally skipped over Cantlay. I just said like, I don't like him, and that's it. I saw that. Yeah, and and, and you know what? He was right to the guy that came back to me was right to say like, you didn't speak about him. You can't just skip over. And I was like, you know what? That's fine. So then I just listed all these reasons why I didn't like him. Like the fact that, you know. Um, I don't think he should have got the Memorial win. Like John Rahm was going to no. win that. I don't think he deserved the Tour Championship win. John Rahm and Kevin Nard deserved that. Um, he gained 14 strokes putting when he beat Bryson. Like <laughs> when he had the chance to win the Masters, he put it in the water on 16, or he both. Yep. I can't remember what he did now. But like even the even the one at the PGA Championship never really had a chance of winning. He was so far off. Like behind Brooks kept right. it didn't matter. So there's I haven't seen anything to suggest like Patrick Cantlay can win a major i haven't even necessarily seen that he can win regularly if anything this season we've seen that he can't so um right. yeah a little bit down on patrick Cantley, but he's not playing this week so um we don't need to kind of rip him to shreds necessarily um yeah. he deserves it though he, he yeah <laughs> i'm sure you feel the same after that week you know very recently scorned um but let's look at the the top of the guys are here Scotty Scheffler, 11-2. JT, 11,000. Colin Morikawa, 10-7. Jordan Spieth, 10-4. Will Zalatoris, 10-1. And Victor Hovland, 10. So you've got plenty of options in this 10K range and above. How do you expect, I guess, all of them to react from the PGA Championship? Let's, let's first of all just talk about Justin Thomas. How do you expect him to react? Um, I think he's going to be emotionally fatigued and drained it i think what it took for him to win that major on sunday and how emotional he was afterwards and everything and then just coming out the next week i'm going to be fading justin thomas a lot of people i've heard say like he can get hot and reel them off which i get but if these events were in the opposite order i would agree with that if this was before the pga but 
fresh after winning a major when he's waited over five years to do it. Um, for me, it just seems like a emotional letdown spot. Could he be fine? Yeah, but I don't see him winning. So my my inverse to that would be, or retort to that would be, that he went back to back in 2017 in Hawaii, which is obviously a completely different concept. But then he went fourth at Memorial, ninth at the US Open that year. And then when he won the PGA, he then finished sixth at the Northern Trust on his next start and then won a Dell Tech in the FedEx. Now, the real point, though, is that there was like fortnights between those starts mm-hmm. like they weren't back to back he didn't he didn't he didn't win the pga championship and then finish tie sit the following week i do think he's capable of doing it um i mean there was actually quite a decent period of time it was the 13th of august he won the pga championship and yeah it was two weeks it's 27th of august he finished sixth, right so um it, it just depends whether you think he can do it on his like can he do it on his next start yes can he do it the week after i don't know like is he really going to be that bothered? Is is more even even if he was emotionally drained? Is it an event that he really cares about? It's not like it's the Players Championship. It's not like something like that. And he's had two starts here and finished tenth and fortieth. And when he was tenth, he was second after fifty four holes and kind of went backwards. So, and that was coming right out of COVID as well. That was when this was the first event for X amount of weeks yep. or months. And he was fortieth last year. So, I really don't. I I don't know. I don't think I'm going to play him because. I don't really feel like I need to. Um, when if, he was, if, I don't. Know. If this was, if this was, if this was Quail Hollow this week, yeah, and he was going one to a course he cared about in a tournament he cared about in a place where I think he is, you know, a great fit. Then that's another story. But I don't love, you know, I, he hasn't done much in Texas. He, you said the course form is shaky, and uh, you know, I just it's not a spot I would envision him anyway. So if it was a spot where I think he'd be, you know, if he was going to Memorial, then I might. Yeah, if, if it was Spieth that won last week and he was coming here, would you be different? Yes. Okay, yeah. So, I, I agree. I, I'm not going to play JT, but I, I do think if, if the ownership was really low on him because everyone has the same concerns, then I, I would do that, but I don't suppose that will be the case. Um, it will be the case. It, it will be, be the case. Will, yeah, yeah. It will, he, he will be uh, fairly low. Everyone's going to Spieth in secondary, Morikawa, and third is Hovland. I think JT's going to come in after all, all those guys. Makes it trickier, doesn't it? I, I do think that makes it slightly trickier. Let's go to Spieth then. Uh, Spieth has played here nine times. He has won once, finished second three times, finished inside the top ten three other times, and finished no worse than 32nd. Um, by the time this comes out, my first round leader article will be out. He is on that, 26-1. Uh, to 1. Uh, his his record in the opening round here is absolutely obscene. I know you messaged me earlier in the, over the weekend saying, "Are oh, we going right back to Spieth?" I can't I can't do it because he just pissed me off so much last week. Um, but this is a completely different test, and you know the course form speaks for itself. Yeah, he he he's my headline bet this week. I, I found a sixteen to one, which I thought is more than fair. Yeah, and you know I've gone in all in on him twice um, that I can remember. First time was at this event last year, and he was in first place. And I, I, I think I said this on the show. I felt so confident going into Sunday, and he didn't win. Came in second. The other time was two weeks ago at the Byron Nelson, also came in second. So I still think he owes me one, and I still think here's the place he can definitely do it. And you know, I talked about the Byron Nelson form and the Texas overall form, but you just hit on it. This Colonial form is more than anything else you can you've seen from him. You know, and. Um, I, I tweeted this actually a couple of minutes ago. 
that Spieth finished in the top 10 in seven of his past nine trips to Colonial, and I bet a top 10 is plus 150. So imagine something happened seven out of nine times and it's plus 150. Yeah, and and it's, and it's actually a better course than Byron Nelson was for him, and he's driving it well, which is really key. You know, he's playing better than he has over the last couple of years, and he's still playing well here. So um, I, I don't know why I couldn't get to him this week. I think it's just because I kind of started my card later on in terms of betting. But in terms of DFS, he, he pretty much is unavoidable. I think you've got to put him in, even if the ownership's high. Yeah, and I, I there's plenty of other guys I like that aren't going to be as popular. And I think just, I mean, if a guy's a guaranteed top 10, and he also, I think, has a good chance to win, his ball striking numbers were great again last week, struggled putting. And I will say this, he, the last three times he's played here, he's gained more than seven strokes putting on each of those three trips. So if there's a place where he can find it, it might be this place. And he does need to find it. Like, there's no getting away from the fact he does need to find that putting stroke. And there's been some bad, you know, what was it, 11 or wherever it was last week or two weeks ago, Byron Nelson, where we wanted to kill him. It might have been 10. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what hold it was now, but I literally wanted to, to break his neck. Oh, um, it was horrible. <laughs> but, you know... Yeah, I, I, there's there's really nothing like in certain, like you can only like, like some people just go like you know how can you just keep picking Spieth or how can you just keep picking this player because of past form doesn't necessarily equal future success and I and I get that like you can't just rely on something that happened like otherwise you'd be back in Zach Johnson this week because he's got two wins two top fours <laughs> you know like you can't always do that but. I've got that in front of me, and I've got the fact that he's playing well in front of me. What what else can I do? Like I can make an easy excuse that he was going for the Grand Slam last week, and that got into his head, and he was playing with Tiger and Rory McIlroy on day one. That, to me, kind of goes, I can discount last week. He doesn't start very well at the PGA Championship in general, um, so let's give that a miss. And, and all of a sudden, it is very easy. Colin Morikawa is interesting, because... I was very quick to write him off this week. Didn't think he was playing well enough. And then when I look, he's still like season long. He's still doing what he does with his irons. Maybe not quite as good as he has done, but he's good. And, you know, when he was second here on his debut in 2020, he shot four rounds of 67 or better. Um, Obviously lost in that playoff. And then last year, shot 66 in round two. 69, 68. The other round, 72 as well. 14th place. Like, is this a... I don't even know if it's a get-right spot when you actually look at his form a bit deeper this year. Like, I, I just feel like he's playing badly, but he really isn't. Like, fifth at the Masters, 26th at the Heritage. Um, what has he got? A second at Riviera. Is it bad, or is it just that his lofty expectations kind of make him look like he's in worse form? It's both. Um, I, I don't think he's at the uh, point that he was at when he was playing his best. So, no. a couple quick things here. Last year, I tweeted something that I think in his past 24 rounds, he had gained 57 strokes ball striking on the field. The second best was 33. And it was a stretch of golf where he was just literally lapping the field in terms of his iron play. So if you look at his career, he gains about 3.6 strokes um, on approach on the field. When he was really hot, he was gaining close to five strokes per event uh, on the field. Now he's gaining two. And I think he's still good. He's still good. But when we see him win and go and take something, um, it's it's usually when he's really, really, really showing it coming. And, um, you know, like his event leading up to the uh, Open, he was bad in uh, the Scottish. But prior to that, um, he, let's see, he, he gained 7.7, 8.2, 6.8, 8.3. 
won the Open. Yeah, and, and and also I think the Scottish Open I could throw out because he literally said, like he he fooled us all because he had bad irons that where you can just like he realised he needs to change model just for the links and, right. and then he won right. So um, I can happily throw that out. I do think that like someone messaged me the other day and sort of said like, what about Colin Morikawa? And as soon as he kind of swiped it left off the tee to start, I was like, look, if he hasn't got that, he can't win. Like yeah. he he needs to be banging in the middle of the fairway, hitting it close to than everyone else to the pins at that golf course. I do think it's a little bit different here because he's kind of protected. Uh, he can, you know, just club down. He can, but I don't know. It's it's tough. I think it's an interesting case, and I think also people are forgetting about Victor Hovland now um, because he's not showing up in the majors as they wanted him to. I didn't think either major was a great major for him. Um, they were both kind of around the green examinations, which are the complete opposite of what you think of Victor Hovland. He's played here once, shot three rounds of 68 or better, um, and finished 23rd. So I do think Victor Hovland's being a little bit overlooked as well. Yeah, and you know, Morikawa should have won here in 2020. So obviously it's a good course fit for him. But um, I just think if you don't think he's going to win, you can't play him. If you do, then go ahead and play him. Yeah. Uh, for Hovland, for me, it's, it, it is a good course fit um, somewhat. I just think... You know, I like him at these long tree-line classical tracks like Riviera and, um, you know, the, the, those types of Torrey Pines, places like that where I think um, he has more of an advantage because he drives it long and straight. Um, and I just think this is a place it's, – it's, it's not when I, when I picture Victor Holland winning, it's not, the, it's not Colonial. No, I agree. Uh, are we out on Scheffler and Zalatoris? I personally am. Zalatoris, that mental energy he expended, I, I just don't – not for me. And Scheffler, he was, you know, I've been saying he's due for regression the past few weeks. I said fade him last week, and I, I'm still on that train for now. It, it takes a couple months to kind of get right back to where he should be. Yeah, oh, I agree with that. And Zalatoris was 59th here last year, so there's nothing that screams to me that, you know, we need to go back to him. Um, like I said earlier, like everyone just keeps saying that if he if he puts well, he's going to win. And you know, the evidence in the majors isn't. I know the you know the majors are slightly different things, but um, I, I don't necessarily buy into that. So I'll just wait maybe a couple of weeks if he starts having two or three bad weeks because of the mental lit down you can probably get some really nice prices on him on the outright you can probably get him in a better own uh, you know prices on here and, and let people forget about him scotty scheffler 55th miscut in two starts here so yeah no thanks you know and and isn't playing his best golf and has just lit himself down at the pg championship i don't need to bet i don't need to put him at the uh you know i, I won't rule him out because it's just stupid but i don't need to pick him um 9K guys then, so we've got Sam Burns 9.7, Max Homer 9.4, Abraham Anson 9.3, Sungjae 9.2, Finau 9.1, Berger 9. I'm just going to talk about the guys I'm interested in for now, and that is Homer and Finau. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an exciting time for the Lost Words podcast because not only is it major championship season, but it's also new ad read season. Now, Manscaped have been a tremendous sponsor for the podcast, providing great equipment to our hosts and an awesome discount for our listeners. Summer is here, the sun is shining, shirts are off, and your balls are smooth. You heard that right, your friends at Manscaped are here to make sure that your beach balls are as smooth as Floridian sand. Now in the summer you want to kill some cold beers and barbecues, not kill the vibe of your pubes peeking out of your swim trunks. That's why Manscaped has their Performance Package 4.0 to keep the party in your pants looking crisp and refreshing all summer long. So dive headfirst into the summer by joining the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com and using code LFW20 for 20% off and free shipping. 
Now the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare for that summer board. Inside this package you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxes Briefs and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Get 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using that code LFW20. That is 20% off with the code LFW20 and free shipping at manscaped.com. This is the summer to turn your package into the full package with Manscaped. So the guys that I'm interested in are, are a little different than yours. Um, I was interested in answer and uh, in burger. So yeah. So so Jason really likes burger on the betting podcast. Uh, answer on the betting podcast. He was he was really encouraged by kind of his back to back 14th place finishes here. What he did last week in general. Um, what do I think about Aaron Answer? He hit the ball better last week. 17th in strokes can approach, which I think is important. I do think he's maybe a little bit away from getting to the score he needs this week. I know it's not a birdie fest per se, but he's still probably got to get to 15, 16 under, and I just don't know if he's playing well enough to do that, um, would be my kind of take on Abraham Answer. And Daniel Berger, I, just, I, I don't know what to do with Daniel Berger. He, I mean, his form here is fine. He's obviously won, and he finished 20th last year. I don't, I don't know what to do about Daniel Berger. I was always so high on Daniel Berger for such a long time. And, and he just feels like he's disappointed in recent months. I knew you weren't going to like it this week. Um, but I like him because, like, and I've said this on the show before, but just he's so predictable in where he's going to play well. right? And I said this before the Heritage when I was really high on him. And um, he, didn't, he didn't do what I thought he was going to do there, but he still finished in 21st and gained seven, uh, almost seven strokes on approach. So, yeah. so he, And he had a really bad first round. He w- went in the water on that par three, and he just kind of shut himself out of it and then grinded back into it. But... Um, like last week, a lot of people are high on Berger, and I was like, I don't understand this. He can't play on a par 70 that's almost 7,600 yards. He, he can't. He, he's, I don't think he's ever played well in a long course in his career. Like looking back, you really can't even find almost, you can't even find a single example of it. It's all the shorter courses. Every single time he plays well, it's at a short course. Um, Which is I actually a good thing for you and like people that want to be on him because it just means his price goes down to what it is and in the betting market because if you can just, keep in mind that he's only going to play well at these courses that are 7,400 and less or whatever, then you're pretty happy with Daniel Berger, I guess. Yeah, and I, I bet him at 35 to 1. Because of that, I think if he's in form, which I think is a question mark, it is a question mark, but if he is, that's a really good number in this field at a course that, that he's already won at. And if it was 25, I would not have bet it. But I just thought 35 was fair, and I think this 9,000 in the same vein is also fair. Yeah, I think, I think he's fine. Like... I just can't get excited about Daniel Berger. And I think the, the trouble with Daniel Berger is that the win here came after that pandemic. And before that pandemic, he was ninth, fifth, and fourth. And I, I don't think he's playing like that uh, because his form after that was obviously third at Heritage, second at St. Jude, third at Norman Like he was like His 2020 was elite, like really, really good for someone of what you could probably say is a, a limited skill set. Now, he has got the 4th at the Honda, he's got the 13th for the players, he's got the 21st at the Heritage, which are all courses you expect him to do well at. And he does, and, and that's what you've got to look at for these kind of golfers. Are they playing the golf courses they should play well? Well, and he is. So that would be the positives for him. The reason I say Max Homer and Tony Finau. So Max Homer, I didn't want to bet because he's gone down to the price that he now should be uh, in terms of the betting odds. He's, he's earned that. Um, 16th and 5th in strokes gain approach his last two uh, events, obviously including last week where he's 5th 
and I think he's it was like 27th here in the past um, on his maybe his debut maybe his second start I've just got to try and find it there's so many uh, names listed here and I should have just left them in alphabetical order and that would have been easier um, 27th so he's played here twice the, the first time was a miscut a really long time ago 27th was his second time and he shot two rounds of 68 there and I just think he's playing so well like it's pretty predictable that Max Home is going to play well. As soon as he finished 13th last week in the major, I was really hoping he was going to be a decent betting price and, and we could bet him again. He wasn't. Uh, but I think there's a, enough around him that people were going to go to answer. They're going to go to Burns um, that, that can keep him off at 9-4. And then Tony Finau. Um, what do you do about Tony Finau? I guess he's probably the same with... You know, if, if you like Berger, you go with Berger. If you like Ants, you go with Ants. And I just like Tony Fino. Like, he's really solid here. Six out of six for made cuts. Um, second, 23rd, 20th. His last three here. Is he playing well enough to win is is the question. Probably not. Um, it is probably the easiest answer to that. Um, he was 36th in strokes going approach last week, which was good enough for me. Uh, shot a final round 68 as well, which I kind of like to see. That was the second best score of the day. Open for 6-9 as well. Middling rounds were obviously disappointing. But I think Finau is slowly showing kind of form again. Obviously second at Mexico behind John Rahm. I do think he's good enough for this format. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, th- I think the price is good considering what he can do. He, and you know what? One th- thing good about Tony and DraftKings is he typically outscores his placing. Yeah. Because he, he gets the eagles and he uh, makes a lot of birdies and he'll make some bogeys. But um, he's usually a pretty good DraftKings play in that regard. I agree with you. I I think he's a good bet to finish, you know, in 15th, 16th. I can see that very easily. Winning is another story. Um, I don't really see him winning. I know he did have a close call here when Na won. I think that was the year he was um, in it. Yeah. So, so yeah, I do like him. He was, he was like the very last guy I crossed off. So I could definitely see myself going to him. Um, and I probably like him a little better than Answer, you know, that we talk about it because Answer's um, finishes kind of, Last week could have been a flash in the pan because he's really done nothing else. So that that's what I'm concerned about. Like when you get a test like you got last week, like sometimes you can like playing averagely can keep you really high up on the leaderboard. And I just felt like that's all he did. Like I know the irons were pretty good, but you're comparing it to against the field, like people were rejecting, right? And you know, you look at people that fin- like did, does Brendan Steele finishing where he finished in the PJ championship last week change your mind about Brendan Steele? Um, probably not. That people just go, okay, well, Brendan still kind of was steady all week, and that was it. And and maybe you'll say something later on in this, but I, I just I do think sometimes we overvalue it because it was a major. Like, oh, he played so well in the major last week. Let's carry on. And I don't know. I think I think you know. And I'm going to talk about another guy that finished in exactly the same place as Answer and Brendan Steele to that point later that I'm going to use. So it, it really is you know apples and oranges. You have to kind of decide what you're going to do. But I uh, I, I do really like Tony Fee now. So. Anyone else for you in the 9K range that you wanted to talk about? I've kind of just gone with the guys that I like, and that's it. Yeah, same. No, no one else. Let's go to the 8K then. So we're looking at Taylor Gooch as the most expensive guy at 8.9. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, 8.8. I'm not going to list all of them, but we've, we've got guys in here that, that are worth talking about. I've got three guys that I want to talk about, and that's Kevin Nard, Jason Kokrak, and Davis Riley. So we got completely different guys again. Um, That's good, because it means we cover yeah. them all. So go ahead, give me your guys. So Jason Kokrak, for me, his you spoke about it before at the Byron Nelson, right? His form in Texas is just absolutely obscene. Um, his last 
was it seven starts um, in in Texas, two wins, a third, a seventh, a seventeenth. Obviously, one of those wins came here. Uh, the, the week, the year before he won, he obviously finished third as well. I just, I just think he's just so comfortable here, and you know, he looks like the type of guy that's going to be comfortable in Texas. He is comfortable in Texas. Um, 32nd, 55th, and 18th before that. Talk about guys that are playing well in the places you expect them to play well. I think he is kind of doing that. Um, I expected him to go well at the Masters. He did play Genesis okay. wasn't wasn't as good as you'd expect from someone that plays so well this season to, at his Genesis where he normally plays so good. But so many 17th. doesn't really bother me that he finished 60th last week. It was one really bad round, really. Played solidly enough in the Byron Nelson. So I really like Jason Kogrek. Yeah, he's one of those situations where he really just pissed me off last week. He was like on one of my one of my teams that was uh, one of my few teams that kind of was doing well, and he just completely tanked over the weekend. And um, he, yeah, I just think, and I felt this way at the Byron Nelson. I thought he, he had a chance to contend, and it was just he was just too good in Texas to ignore. But at this point, I just feel like the damage he's done, he's you know he, he's already done it. And um, I don't know, I don't know what his deal is if. if he was originally rumored to be, you know, playing and live. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but I just think he's kind of tailing off, and I think um, I, I'm going to get out, get out. I just think it's the one place now for the rest of the season where I think I'm going to take Jason Kokrak and I'm, and I'm going to buy in. Uh, Kevin Nahr is is very simple for me. Um, he's got a win, a full three more top tens, and his record in the first round here, he's got three first-round leads, Kevin Nahr. So, again, spoiler alert, he will be in my first-round leader column. Um, talk about a guy that, again, just playing well where you expect him to play well. Last four you know, events, he's actually finished 14th for the Masters and 23rd at the PGA where you probably wouldn't expect him to play well. 26th for the Heritage where you would expect it. So many, he should have finished better than 20th after opening for 61. Um, pretty happy with what Kevin Nahr's doing and coming to a golf course that we know he likes. So Kevin Nahr, absolutely fine. And then Davis Riley, I'm guessing, is kind of like this ownership play where... He's probably going to be way too high owned to really consider. But 5th, ninth, and 13th of his last three events. Second at the Valspar, obviously losing to Sam Byrne in the playoff, which I don't think Valspar is actually too far away from what we should be kind of looking at this week. I know, obviously, Florida versus Texas. But, you know, it's one of those sort of tough tree-line things. And you look at kind of the winners, you know, Kokrat finished second at the Valspar, one here. Berger, 11th at the Valspar, one here. Nah, second at the Valspar, one here. Justin Rose, three top eights at the Valspar, one here probably go further back it, you know, there's more guys as well but he's obviously one in San Antonio on the Corn Ferry lives in Texas I think there's a lot to like about Davis Riley other than he's probably going to be very popular yeah not as popular as Kevin Na I think Kevin Na is going to come in probably top five so I'd um, rather have I'd rather have Riley in that situation yeah um, but he's still you know somewhat popular yeah and I just I'm just you know I'm going to be late on Riley if he ends up you know coming through in a place like this there's some other guys I like better um, not I'm more likely to play Nah, even though he's popular. I just think he's just much safer. Yeah. Um, and I just think you know he's playing so well. And but with that being said, I probably not. I'm probably not going to play either of them. Um, I'm looking to play Webb Simpson, uh, 8700. He's uh, going to come around 10%, which I you know is relatively low considering all the guys around him. Um, the only guy in that range lower is probably going to be Billy Horschel. But um, I just think Webb, uh, what he what I what he showed me last week was great. You know, that was the first time he's gained strokes in all four major categories in over two years. 
Um, just, you know, you could that could be a negative thing, right? He hasn't played consistently, but it also shows that he's kind of getting everything into form. Health seems to be back again. Um, and he just switched irons last week. He finally switched to some blades that he's been, people have been telling him to switch to and supposedly put him in play for the PGA Championship for the first time. And he said he, he loved him and he gained 2.2 strokes on approach. Um, and, and he played really well. Obviously, um, has some good history here, third and a fifth. Also, also has two missed cuts. So um, I think, you know, in terms of what, the skill set you're looking for, he's kind of the perfect guy. So you've hit that on the head. Feast or famine here, third or fifth or missed cut, right? He's the ultimate boom and bust guy for me in his range. Spoke to Paul Tesori after the round on Saturday, and he said that this might finally be the breakthrough that we've been needing. Uh, really, really high on what had happened that day. They, he literally said to me that being 140th plus on the FedEx Cup stinks. So it's on their mind. They they know how they feel. I sort of went back to them and sort of said some really nice things, and they were really encouraged. Um, and, and they were disappointed with Sunday. They, they were disappointed with Sunday. They didn't back it up. Um, but he said that he looks like he's back to himself. And he was he bit. bad on Sunday? I, I watched some of them. It wasn't bad. I, I just said, you know, like, go and follow it up and, you know, and have a great round. And, and they, you know, they just said it was hard pills as well. I went backwards. I think probably what he says by that is that you could probably have shot a 70 and, you know, really contended. Um, mm-hmm. And and maybe they just went for it too much. Um, but he said it's been a long two years and it's time to get back to winning. So that all sounds pretty good. Didn't say anything particularly you know, as much as I personally didn't really say anything about this week in general. I think he's very, very coy, uh, Paul Tesori in general, about, you know, what, what's going to happen. But, I was really encouraged by the fact that he just said, looks like he's back to where he needs to be. And, and if you get Webb Simpson back to where he needs to be on a golf course that he's been good at in the past, an 8,700, you know, it, it, this is Webb in, in earlier form. He's he's a 9K guy in general. Yeah, and I, I think um, it's just, it's a risk. It's a risk and it's a gamble and it's worth a shot. And I, I bet a 40 to 1 as well. I just think, like, if he's back, that's a great price to pay. And if he's not, then I lose. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the risk. Anyone else in this guy range? Uh, no, those are my my two. Um, did I say two guys? Oh, and Tommy Fleetwood. I mean, I thought you'd go two. Fleetwood. I thought you'd go. Yeah, there. I don't know if I'm gonna play him though. I, he's just expensive, and he's not. He's a combination of both expensive and not unpopular. Yeah, like if people were overlooking him, I'd have liked it. But I think yeah. I think the fact that people do just generally like him, and you never seem to be able to get that lower ownership on Tommy Fleetwood, even when he's playing badly, um, I can pretty much skip it. 7K guys, I like Gary Woodland, I like Justin Rose, I like Tom Hoagie, uh, was who I was alluding to earlier. Um, and then there's another couple of guys that I want to talk about in the lower 7Ks as kind of risk-reward things. So I'll start with Justin Rose. Um, 10th in approach last week, I think he was. Let me just double-check myself on that because I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, 10th in approach last week. Obviously 13th place finish in a major championship. I think we're probably higher on Justin Rose over the past couple of years than everyone else has been. Um, probably to our detriment, but like he just seems to show up where you do want him to show up. Sit for the, the the farmers, you know, 12th the RSM earlier in the year, already in the season. Sorry, um, wasn't great in the Masters. Obviously missed the cut, and that was disappointing. But 13th last week was really encouraging. And you know, just looking at his course record, first 58th, third 20th last four years. So first and third in last four years, 20th last year when he was ultimately not playing as well as Justin Rose plays. Um, I was encouraged enough to, uh, to play him here. Yeah, I, I absolutely love Rose. Uh, one of my favorite plays on the entire board. Um, probably not surprising because I tend to like him a lot, but 
he he did gain um, over five strokes in approach last week, and I know that's a little bit skewed because of the you know you know all the weather yeah. splits. But um, that was the first. He's only done that one other time um, in the past two years since August of 2020. He's he's um, so his irons seem to be good. You know, and and the putting was good too. Gained over four strokes putting. He's a great bent grass putter. Gains almost a stroke on the field per round um, in, on bent grass putting. So I think the combination of the iron play and the putting with his course history and showing something, I think uh, it's a perfect recipe to play Rose. Yeah. Gary Woodland, I just felt as well like he should have done so much better on Sunday, but that's been Gary Woodland's MO right for forever. Like he, he just doesn't quite live up to it. And I don't think he can win, which is why I preferred. I prefer Rose over Woodland in terms of betting, but I prefer potentially prefer Woodland over Rose in DFS because I, I just feel like he could be steadier. Whereas I think Rose has the potential to miss the cut. I do think Woodland will make it, and I do think he'll play solidly. Um, 34th, obviously, last week. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think I think Rose is uh, the, you know, more of a boomer bust type play where Woodland's safer, although I don't, like you said, I don't think Woodland can actually win the event because every time people think he's going to win the event, he gets close and then backs up the second he sniffs it. And I just, I'm done with him for the most part, and that's probably why I'm done with him in, in DFS right now. But um, I agree that he's probably a higher floor than Rose, no doubt. Tom Hoagie's course form isn't as good as I would expect it to be. Uh, when I spoke to Tom Hoagie on a podcast, he basically told me he loved Colonial. This was when we were in lockdown, and I think he was really looking forward to playing there. Uh, and he's missed his last two cuts at the golf course. But I do think there's potential for him to play well. He was obviously second in strokes going approach last week. Again, you could argue you know, how significant that's going to be. But... You know, I think 17th, 42nd, 40th in the first three starts here. And I'm pretty sure when he was, I think it was when he was 42nd, he was actually inside the top six after two rounds. And he was inside the top 20 the year after that as well, or just around the top 20 after two rounds as well. So I think if he gets himself in those kind of positions, he's much better equipped these days to take a step forward. Yeah, very, very popular is going to be the problem. Um, at 7,600, he's going to be pushing like 16, 17%. I think a lot of people are have that line of thinking um i'm sure he's popping in all those t- uh statistics that people are looking at this week so that's uh i'm probably gonna be a fade on him uh, due to ownership what do we do with kevin kisner this it feels like a real course versus current form conundrum because we know kevin kisner's upside here is a win he's won finished fifth and finished 10th here 29th and 40th for the last two years and actually two of his last three missed cuts have been on the number as well so maybe not playing as bad as people think Kevin Kisner's playing? I originally thought about playing him, um, and then I decided against it. You know, what you said earlier about Berger is what caught my eye about him. He's not playing well at the courses he should play well at. Yeah. And he, you know, mentioned he's, he might be missing it on the number, but at a place like Heritage, he shouldn't even be on the number. No. Uh, you know, he, he should be contending to win those events. Um, you know, Pebble Beach missed the cut. Just all these shorter courses where he should be playing well. Byron Nelson's not playing. He just isn't doing it at those places, so that's why I'm going to be out on him. I wonder if it's like a, an expectation thing. Like he goes into the players thinking he can't win. He goes into, you know, Phoenix doesn't think he can win. Goes into the Masters knows he can't win, and he finishes kind of, you know, fourth at the players, forty fourth at the Masters, and thirty or the, the, you know, Phoenix. Maybe it's just a when he thinks he can win, he he really puts too much pressure on himself. I don't know. It's it's really tough to, to decide what Kevin Kisner's doing. Um, any others for you in the 7K range? Obviously, Munoz is someone that people are going to go to, but popularity is going to demand you go away from him, I think. Yep, I agree with that, and I'm just going to 
I'd, I'd rather just play Rose at a, at a lower ownership. But one of my favorite plays in this range is C.T. Pan. Um, a lot of people are going to be a little pissed that he uh, withdrew before, I think, Valero and, and screwed a lot of people over. So that's fine with me. Um, ownership isn't going to be incredibly low, but I still think projections are going to be higher than what he actually comes in at because I think that makes people scared to kind of pull the trigger. Um, and he's been good. He's been, uh, you know, he's been, he was trending going into, into that week. Um, and then before he withdrew, and now the kind of smoked kind of off him a bit. Um, his game strokes on approach in seven straight starts and game strokes from T to green in eight straight uh, starts. So he's uh, also very good. If I look at a stat of par 70s under 7,200 yards, he's 13th in strokes gain total in the field. So he just plays these types of courses well. He's won at similar courses. He's playing well at the time. Um, I just think it's a, a good mix to play him. Yeah, he's playing. He's, he's playing really well, and it, it's. I, I never know what to do with CT Pan. There's, like, there's weeks where I really like him and he lets me down. There's weeks where I just very, kind of non-plussed on CT Pan, and he, uh, and he does it. I, I just don't know. He's just one of those people that's just really, really difficult to get right. So, uh, CT Pan, very, very solid in terms of strokes gain approach numbers, just for a long time. And I think, like you say, it's just, it just seems pretty reliable in this kind of track. Yeah, yeah, I like him. I bet him at 100 to 1. I thought that was pretty good too. Troy Merritt shows up a lot in the kind of location form for, for Texas. 7th seventh, seventh and 4th, his last three starts uh, in the Lone Star State, including here last year. 4th um, for the Valero. It's just Troy Merritt, isn't it? It's just really, really hard to know what Troy Merritt's going to do. The ball striking is nowhere near good enough to, uh, to rely on him, but you know he's been making cuts like he's he's been really solid so i don't know well you have to go back to riviera for his last missed cut and he's made what one two three four five six seven eight in that time including at the major championship so he he could be a player i just don't think his iron play is probably where it needs to be to have upside i like Merritt a lot um i think he's underpriced at 7300 considering what he's been doing lately and what he did in texas you know look at a guy like him and then look at maverick mcneely who everybody drills over and he's $200 cheaper than McNeely. He's going to be less popular than McNeely. And McNeely hasn't uh, finished in the top 25 since February. And uh, so it's, it's, like, it just seems, it's like a perception versus reality thing. And um, I think Merritt is, has been steadier, and he's just been the type of guy who, and again, you said the Texas form is great. Um, I'm not huge on his sideburns, but other than that, I, I like what he brings. <laughs> yeah, I'm not huge on Troy Merritt in general, but uh, <laughs> I mean, Maverick Lenny's eight starts in Texas and made all the cuts, but it's just like, that's it. Like I, The upside hasn't been there. He hasn't finished better than 17th in that time. So he, he plays well, and, and I think he can finish in the top 20, but I'd probably rather go to Troy Merritt as well, despite the fact I don't know if he can contend. Nate Lashley? 7,100, playing very, very well. 18th, 11th, and 17th amongst his last five starts. 15th for the Crowders, 7th for Puerto Rico. Is it just too much in weaker fields to, to really get you excited? I mean, 17th for the Byron Nelson closing with 64 was uh, was pleasing. Yeah, that was good. Um, I just think there's a couple guys around him that I like better. Uh, I, I, I get it. Um, yeah, the weak fields, like you said, but... I mean, there's a couple guys around him that aren't as popular as I thought they were going to be that seemed almost to be unavoidable in Stuart Sink and James Hahn. Do you know the stat on Stuart Sink after majors? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so five wins, uh, five of his eight PGA Tour wins have come the week after a major. Now, to 
to add context to that, three of them were the heritage the week after the Masters. So maybe it's the heritage and the time of year as opposed to he's just really good after uh, you know major championships. But we know he can play well here. Uh, he, he has played well here in the past. He hasn't played here for three years, which I thought was a little bit weird. Um, but the fact that he's coming back is probably quite encouraging. But I'm looking at the last 15 years and he's got, before he missed a couple of cuts, he was 18th, 22nd, 22nd, 16th, and then 10th and 58th for last two. So I think Stuart Singh's actually really solid considering what he's doing and, and playing well at the courses that sort of compare well to this one. Yeah, I watched a lot of him on Sunday because he was played with JT and I was watching that group um, instead of the main coverage for a lot of it. And, uh, you know, I was I remember at one point I was pissed because JT had to lay up on the par five and it's like, Stuart Singh put it to 30 feet for Eagle. Why, why can't you do that? So I think he's in good form. And there might be something to him playing well after the majors, like all the preparation that he puts in and all that, you know, at a place where he, you can't compete at, at a major right now. But he, I think he gets himself in position to play well. And then now he kind of just rolls it over to this week. And he's he's only 5% owned right now, it's looking like. And I think I thought he was going to be very popular and he really... He really isn't. So I'd much rather play him than a guy like Lafty because he has a much higher upside. And then James Hahn has been great lately. Funny story about James Hahn. I saw him uh, at the airport uh, the day after the Open Championship. And, and I just, you know, one of those things where you, you're pretty sure it is someone and, and you, you're not sure enough yeah. to go and say hello. And then I was like, Googling him, looking at James Hahn, looking up at this guy, Googling him, looking up, Googling, looking up. And it was definitely him. And by the time I plucked up the courage to, uh, to go and say hello, you know, I think he put some headphones on and that was it. So I thought, you know, don't disrupt James Harm. But he's, you know, he's playing well, isn't he? Back-to-back ninth-place finishes uh, at the World's Fire at Byron Nelson. He just worries me, James Harm. He, he could just suddenly go on the run of missing 10 cuts in a row just because that's what James Harm does. Um, and you just, it almost feels like when you go to James Harm, you've probably missed the boat, is the concern for me. Like, he's played here four times and missed four cuts, five times and missed five cuts. Yeah, but by the time you, you realize he's playing well, uh, it's too late. But he um, but he has that distinct look about him. I was watching him last on the telecast, and he was, like, mad. And I was like, this guy could murder somebody, no problem. And <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he just has that like, mad, mean look on his face all the time. And I, uh, I kind of like it when, he's, when he gets in contention. He makes you feel like he's, uh, he means business. But I agree with you. By, sometimes by the time you get there, it's too late. Did gain 8.5 on approach at the Byron Nelson. It's just a funny, I mean, there's a guy opening a bag of crisps near him, and that's going to be the end of James Hahn. So, uh, yeah. interesting. I, I don't know. He just, he just scares the life out of me, James Hahn. It's probably one of those high <laughs> upside things, right? And, and not because of the way he looks or the fact that he's got this assassin stare. Uh, but it's, it's more just the fact that he's missed five cuts here out of five and, you know, just doesn't seem to be able to string form together. But um, are you done with that in the seven cat? Grillo was interesting. Maybe just showing a little bit of form and plays well here. But, uh, again, just not someone I want to hang my hat on. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I kind of considered Lipsky for a minute. Um, looking at him, I, he seems like it seems like a, a course where he could do do kind of well, but it also seems pretty risky. Um, and I, yeah, that's it for the seven Ks for me. Let's go into the the six Ks then. It starts off with uh, Russell Knox, Mimu Lee, Adam Long, guys that you know generally feature prominently on people's kind of lists and things. Like that. Is that any one of those guys that you're going to? Adam Long, I thought about. Um, he played well in Houston last year. He was pretty good at Valero um, and he's a guy who seems like a higher upside guy in terms of the 6Ks he's, his stats have been pretty good for uh, the most part this season he's having a pretty good season and he's kind of you know under the radar a bit so I thought he might be a guy I had three guys that I thought that I wanted to talk about one was Peter Malnati at 6800 just seems to be playing solidly he hasn't played great at this course but 
you know, he's, what is he, 41st, 42nd, 15th, 51st, 9th, obviously 9th coming into Byron Nelson. Um, just thought that was enough to kind of pique my interest. Don't know if there's enough upside in Peter Malnati to get too excited about him, of course. But, you know, I think I think there's enough. Like, it's just one of those kind of solid plays, last guy in if you need to. Um, the other guy, Vincent Whaley, 6,400. So I tweeted this out for people. Uh, let me bring it up so I don't actually... Uh, get it completely wrong because that would be really embarrassing after tweezing it out myself. Um, so I'm just going to bring that up here. He was played four times in Texas last year. 34th at the Valero, 26th for the Byron Nelson, 20th here, 15th in Houston, and twice uh, this season, tied 29th for the Valero and tied 25th for the Byron Nelson. So to me, that kind of suggests that Vincent Whaley just likes playing in Texas for whatever reason. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know if he's even the Texas guy. I, I don't look into Vincent Whaley enough to actually understand why he plays well here. But to me, that just looks like a guy that, when he gets back into the Lone Star State, plays well, and that's enough for me. Yeah, all that makes plenty of sense. You kind of opened my eyes um, up to him a little bit. Uh, so that makes sense. I uh, I was also looking at Sabatini, who has been playing better lately. I know he just went to the U.S. Open qualifier and didn't, make it so i don't love that for this week um the fact that he's kind of going from um where was it pennsylvania or something uh there was one in to, dallas was he was he he wasn't in dallas i'll take it i'm not i'm not sure he was in the one the smith one where um where uh, crocker got in That's, that was dallas i think okay yeah so it was dallas so he's close by but um he gained 4.4 in approach at, at byron nelson um and you know so he was hurt before that so it seems like maybe he's getting healthy again and he's he was uh, 14th here last year, too, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Two years ago, 14th, I think it was, 67th okay, last yeah. year. Um, but before that, so 67th last year, but 14th, 6th, and 20th before that, 10th before that, obviously a course winner. Um, 25th last time at the Byron Nelson, you already alluded to, 48th at the Honda, 33rd at the Phoenix. Um, quite a lot to like about Rory Sabatini at 6,700. Again, he's just mad as a box of frogs and I never know quite what to do with Rory Sabatini he's, he's kind of Tyrrell Hassan before Tyrrell Hassan came along I think but uh, yeah I don't know what to do with, with Sabatini I, I think this 6k range this week one I don't think I need to go there too often um, but I thought guys were just a little bit more pricey than I expected like Patton Kazire has been terrible ball striking recently um, and you know it's suddenly there at 6,900 6, um, Doug Gim, I thought could have been interesting at 6,700, but just never quite made my mind up. Lucas Govers uh, played well here in the past. But they're just names. They're, they're just names I've never really got that excited about. I've, I kind of liked the, the Malnati and, and the Vince Whaley thing. Uh, no love for your guy, Austin Smotherman, this week? Yeah, I was going to ask you. I was going to say, who do you think the most owned guy? So nobody even even sniffing 2% below 6,300, yet Smotherman is at 8. Tyler, um, Tyler Duncan at 6,300 I thought was quite interesting. Um, has played here twice, made two cuts. Uh, I think he shot a 65 in the opening round. Again, he's another guy that's kind of on my radar for first-round leader. Plays okay in Texas. Um, and he's just he's just Webb Simpson, but not as good, right? That's just what Tyler Duncan is. He just turns up at these same sort of golf courses uh, and, and plays well. And I, I thought at 6,300 there was some upside for him to kind of finishing the top 20. You look at 59 for the Byron Nelson, not his kind of track, but played okay. 12 for the RBC Heritage, where we do expect him to play well. 28 for the Corrales. 25th at the Valspar again, which I like for this. So ultimately, like 49th at Pebble Beach, he's just playing well at the courses that I wanted to play well at, and 6,300 is probably enough upside. Yeah, probably. But like you said, I don't know if we even need to 
to be playing guys at 6,300 this week because I feel like there's so many safer plays that are like in the low sevens. Like, how can you play him at 63? You're not going to need 800 bucks, and you can play Stuart Sink at 7,100. It's just so <laughs> hard to um, to do that. Uh, yeah, so I, I agree with that. Last couple guys that I was just looking at, one, uh, John Pack is playing again. I haven't seen him in a while. He was kind of a young guy who was um, on the scene, but I, I think he's more of a California kid, so I'm going to um, avoid that, but I'm, it's, I'm glad to see him playing. Um, and then I can't believe uh, Kiriyama and how the mighty have fallen. He was one of the most popular guys, and now he's down to 6,400. But almost playing like that as well. It's, it's yeah, kind of is. a little bit concerning. But, you know, these... You know, he's shown enough this year to suggest that he can do it. And I think we're going to get a couple of surprises because you've got guys that are coming off the major and these other guys have just been sitting at home for a week ready to, to gear up for this. So if Kitsiyama could just kind of find what he'd shown before that, um, then there's things to like. I mean, I don't quite know how I'm going to build my lineups this week. Like, I just, I'm just putting one in here like while we speak and I've kind of started with Spieth and Homer as my two most expensive guys. Gone to Co-Crack at 8-2 and Woodland at 7-9. And that leaves me playing Stuart Sink at 7-1 and I can have another guy at 7 or, or you know, people in the 69-6800. I might put Malnati in there, uh, maybe Sabatini based on the conversation that we just had. Um, dare I say Patrick Rogers is playing a lot better than he was at the start of the season. Um, mm-hmm. I, I never really love Patrick Rogers. I'm just trying to think of what his course form is here before. Okay, so he's played here four, five times and he's missed four cuts but finished 14th as well. Yeah, he's he's always a risk-reward type of guy. Um, what do you think of Blandy? He, he was good in uh, in Texas a couple weeks ago, but now he's playing live. Everybody hates him. Everybody hates his guts. Yeah, and everyone, everyone <laughs> everyone's going back to what they thought about Richard Bland before Richard Bland was good for a year. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I don't really care about the live tour stuff in terms of, of forming an opinion on people, but uh, if anything, I'm probably nicer than others. But he's, he's not playing well enough, is he? You know, 66 uh, miscut, miscut. It's no, but he was good in Valero. So, but he so was, yeah. Sure. I think I think it's interesting because he was he played okay at the match play, played away at the Valero, which suggests that maybe he just likes Texas. Also, kind of suggests that he was pushing for that master spot. Right. Yeah, I, I'd rather go Sabs. Only my concern about Sabs is like. He was grabbing at the back three or four weeks ago, and that back with that old those old guys that that can go quick. My my concern with Rory Sabatini is it's Rory Sabatini. I don't think there's really you know he's just <laughs> he's just mental, right? Like he's yeah. just, he's just scary. I mean, there's a couple of guys like people that literally they feel like the same person. They're priced the same in Alex Smalley and Taylor Moore. Like they're they're there, and I just I have no feel. I mean, I thought you might have said Pagala just as a kind of upside thing, but. The course doesn't really interest me. You didn't fancy going back to Brandon Wu? Nah, I think I'm going to be done with him for a while. He, I, he might be a specialist in those past pound type events. Yeah, and, and also I just think ultimately like he's regressed. You know, he's had those couple of big weeks, and, and that's it. That's why they're here at six thousand. So I couldn't, I couldn't, with good conscience, advise anybody at sixty-two hundred and below this week, which. Sometimes we quite like to differentiate and do that, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing that after we had Luke Donald as a as a real person we liked at kind of whatever he was. Adam Schenk is actually minimum value and finished 41st last week at the PGA Championship and ninth at the Wells Fargo. That seems yeah, that seems weird. Very that seems very weird. Yeah, he's a better chance than um, Eric Compton or you know 
Tyler Strafasi who hasn't played in months. Yeah, I think it's kind of a weird pricing. I agree. Straight out of Eric Compton is not going to win this event. Um, Adam Schenk. Well, let's just have a look at his kind of form in Texas. He's got a seventh at the Texas Open. He's got a 43rd in this event where he opened with a open with a 66 and close with a 66. And he's got a 34th at the Byron Nelson, 65th in this event again, 29th in the Houston Open where he shot a 64. And he made the cut of the Byron Nelson last time out. Interesting. Adam Schenk. Minimum value Adam Schenk. Maybe that's the first time I can ever actually recommend someone at 6,000. Yeah, compared to these other guys, he's just as good as most of the guys in the sixes, so I, I get it. I, well, again, we just don't need to go there, do we? We don't need to just worry ourselves about whether Adam Schenk's going to make the cut or not. But uh, if you really are desperate for someone in the, in the low 6Ks, then just play the actually the cheapest guy on the slate. Um, let, let's let's summarise our picks then, Matt, because we've, we've had a good old chinwag here. Um, Favourite guy above 10K? Spieth. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 9K? I'm going to go Berger at 9K flat. I am going to go... Who's more popular out of Finau and Homer? Um, Finau and Homer are looking at exactly the same pairs, between 13 and 15% each. I'll take Homer because I think he's more solid. Uh, 8K, guys? Uh, I'm going to go with Webb. I'm going to go with Kokrak. I think I'm going to give him that chance that not everyone is going to give him. 7K, we both just liking Justin Rose? Absolutely. Rose and then... If- it would be pan after that for me, but I, I prefer Rose. I would say Rose, and I think Stuart Sink gets a shout as well. Uh, and then the 6K guys. I'm going to go Sabatini. I'm going to go with Vincent Whaley just because it means I can follow up with my tweet, and it means that if he finishes inside the top 40 again, I can cry about how that was a great top 40 bet and a good DraftKings addition. But I am interested to see why Adam Schenke is 6,000. That was a strange, uh, strange occurrence. But... Any other order of business, Matt, before we uh, hang up? No. Um, Whaley's from Kentucky, so a similar type of, uh, of, of style of golf. And the last thing I want to say with, that I wanted to mention really quick was Harry Higgs, 6,400 or something, but how badly does the PGA Tour want this guy to be a star? I see him post these things like, who's the best player on tour without a major? Cantlay, um, Berger, and like Harry Higgs is the last picture. I was like, how does Harry Higgs fit into this picture? I, I had to bring that up. I don't know how Harry Higgs is is in anything, right? I know he finished fourth. He's actually, what is he, 14th at the Masters, and didn't he play the PGA well last year? Yeah. Um, surrounding that Masters 14th, though, I think he's missed like eight of his past nine cuts. Yeah, he's just, he's he's not a guy, right? He, he's not who Harry who we want Harry Higgs to be. Uh Oh. From Texas, I guess. Is or is he from there or just went to college there? But I think he's from New York, New Jersey. There you go. So he's not even a Texas guy. He just went there for a couple of years. Yeah. Yucked, it, yucked it up with he by his own admission just drunk while Bryson had chocolate milkshake. So um Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, it's not for me, Harry Higgs. I I don't get that. Um he's got a fourth at the PJ Championship and a fourteenth at the Masters and they're two of his top seven finishes. So Yeah. Well, Speeth is winning, that's my final thoughts. Yeah, I, I can see it. I can I can definitely see it. He's definitely going to lead after round one. That's what I'll yeah, say. Okay. I'll join that too then. Cool. Matt, thank you very much as everybody. And uh, we'll look forward to another week. What have we got? Memorial? Is it Memorial next week? Yeah, great week. Yeah. Or so, the Canadian, Canadian Open. Canadian Open next week, Memorial. Then Memorial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So good schedule. Uh, looking forward to it. All right. See you later. Thanks, buddy.